So the illusion of communication episode last week, Brando. Yeah. It uh, sparked a couple more emails, a couple more messages to us. I think the the advanced diver part two about our recreational two weekend uh, clearly needed more explanation. Maybe. And I, I think that uh, illusion of communication episode worked out really nice. Maybe we had the illusion that we were communicating to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you hit it perfectly, yes. Well, plus people hear uh, that's what, what I me- That's hear. what I meant. That's, that's, <laughs> what I, that's what I meant. We needed that episode yeah. bad. Now people hear what they want to hear. There's, a, there's so much. I mean, it's very difficult not to be biased. It's very difficult to, to receive a message without... I mean, it's impossible to receive a message without being biased or hearing what you you want to hear. <laughs> okay, that's just human psychology. So it's not unusual in my mind to think that people hear an advertisement for a class when we were, in our minds, not advertising any class. As a matter of fact, there were no specials offered. There was nothing really said about, hey, come get this class. You, too, can have this experience if you just sign up here. But, hey. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting point of it's hard to receive a message without bias. You know, I was just having this conversation with some other students uh, for an essentials class uh, just last night. Uh, by the way, there's a discount uh, for the next one. If you pay double, I will give you 20% off the next essentials class. <laughs> But we have that, you know, conversation about that law of readiness and how important it is to come in with a clean slate, open mind, and really try to get rid of your bias so that you can get the most out of it. It's really hard to really walk into any situation without any bias whatsoever. Well, you can't. It's it's not hard. It's impossible. You, you have a brain filled with experiences, uh, with your environment, with your upbringing, etc., you're going to bring bias to everything you do. End of story. I'm done here. Can I drop the mic? I thought we were going to read read mail. Are we going to read yeah. some mail today? Speaking of receiving a message, listener mail. You've got mail. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten some mail lately, Brando. How about we go through some messages that we've recently received and have been pertaining to some of these last discussions and go to the people, see what they're saying. Okay. Well, we got a recent message from Stefan that made mention that after our last episode, he was encouraged by us to contact us if he had any questions. And he says that for a long time, I've been curious about your thoughts of a particular subject. He said that we recommend that you should have a thousand dives before someone should consider becoming an instructor. And, he's, and he says, I totally agree. But I don't think, I don't, I don't think we've ever said a thousand. I don't think we put a number on it because it's not I about think it a was number. 997 is what I clearly <laughs> said. No more, no less. The number of the count shall be 997. <laughs> it's a small window. No, I, I think what we've said repeatedly is that 100 dives, you're, you're just getting into the groove of learning yeah. how to dive. Yeah. You're not in a place where you have enough experience to be sharing anything with anybody from a place of knowledge. The only person that wins on that in that scenario is... Uh, 
it's not a person at all. It's a large organization. Exactly. There's no person that wins in that scenario. The students lose. The uh, the instructor loses because they're, they're shelling out a lot of time and money for for something that they could do better with if they just put more experience under their belt. Yeah, it's a system that the top wins because everybody has to keep throwing money at. But the community doesn't win, and uh, and as that's cycled over and over and over again and again and again, it's just it's the grassroots, the seagrass roots <laughs> <laughs> that keeps losing and getting pushed further and further back. It's kelp roots, actually, kelp roots. We're starting a <laughs> kelp roots movement on Great Dive Podcast, people. He says, uh, but I do have a question on the subject, and he says, let me start by admitting that I am an instructor with a fairly low dive count. It wasn't 101 dives, but definitely much lower than you would suggest, assuming that we were saying 1,000. So he's, he's probably somewhere in a pretty happy range, I'm going to guess, because I've already read this whole email, so I know, I know where he's coming from. He says, that being said, here's why. After my rescue course, I really started expanding my knowledge on diving by self-education. Watching every video, every TDI, UTD, GUE, ISE, agency, and instructor, YouTube video I could find. Really worked on my buoyancy and trim and recording myself with a GoPro and a tripod. Then I decided to become a dive master. At the beginning of becoming a dive master candidate, I planned on staying at the dive master level for a while. Through my dive master course, I did a ton of helping in the confined portion of the open water course with one of the newer instructors who had good trim and taught good trim to the students. Then one day I had to help the shop owner in the confined water. This instructor says he has 3,500 dives which is theoretically possible, but unlikely, he mentions. 3,500,000 dives, I have. <laughs> 35 million <laughs> dives. <laughs> I have actually never gotten out of the water. I've been on one long dive since I was born. He says, but he definitely does have over 1,000 dives and has been diving since the late 80s, early 90s, instructor for 15, 20 years. Well, Helping him in the confined water, he says, during the time where the students are swimming around in the deep end, getting used to everything, I'm in proper trim, hovering, not moving. I look over at the instructor, and he is in the corner of the pool, standing, flat-footed, on the bottom of the pool, watching the class. It was at this moment that I decided to become an instructor. <laughs> With the hope that every student I have, I should teach proper diving. And it would be one less student for him to ruin. Ruin? That, oh, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> with that patty 90s style of diving. Now, I'm not saying I have buoyancy and trim to UTD's instructor standards or probably not even UTD's student grade standards. He says, honestly, I don't know. I haven't taken a UTD class, but I plan to someday. But at least I'm not standing on the bottom of the pool in the corner with my arms crossed like a pouting child and bragging about 3,500 dives at the surface. He was standing there like a drill instructor, like right. TI or DI or whatever. I remember getting in trouble as a child. And by child, I mean teenager who damn well should have known better. And I remember the, the lecture 
And it ended with me being told, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. You know, because I was talking back. Hey, 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 hey. Well, and that's something they know. That- and I think that, well, that's a lot of a lot of instruction is, is hey, I told you to swim around and stay neutrally buoyant. I'm going to stand here in the corner of the pool with my arms crossed and watch you yeah. and tell you how you should be doing it. I'm not trying to be devil, well, maybe a little devil's advocate, but I am trying, you know, to speak as a parent, but also as an instructor. And a lot of times as a parent, you do things that you tell your kids not to do. And they, of course, they they notice it. But it's just like an instructor, you're doing something that you don't want them to do. Like you're out in the water by yourself. You guys like, wait right. here, I'm going to go set up the flag or whatever. I want to I want to scout out the area, but you kind of have to. Among instructors, we say we basically are diving by ourselves all the time because students are. Oh yeah, yeah. A if, I mean, when you when you're taking a, a couple of brand new, this is their very first time in open water divers. I don't care how well you've prepared them in the pool. You as the instructor are diving by yourself. Now you try to set the example, and you, you try as hard as you can to practice what you preach. But again, I put, use the analogy of being a parent. I want to tell them, listen, I've been on this planet a lot longer than you. If I tell you you can't stay up past nine o'clock, and you see me up at ten thirty or even at one in the morning going in the refrigerator to get ice cream, it doesn't mean you go do it. Rank has its privileges. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> Our HIP, we used to say in the service, then that goes to the idea of do as I say. I'm trying to teach you. As you progress in life, you'll be able to do these little things. But at the time I'm teaching you as a ute, as a ute, as a young person, as a new diver, please do exactly as I'm telling you because I'm doing this for your safety. So are you saying that this instructor is standing there in the corner of the pool with his arms full? No, I'm just because strictly because of his rank. No, and, and, I think so he, that's kind he of a should dick be move. A, he He's should be able to do that. a dick move. It, it is like an authoritarian pose, right? And. And I think it's kind of a, a dick move, yeah. And, and not that he's a dick. I don't know the guy, but it's a dick move. I don't think I'm a total dick, but I do dick move sometimes. <laughs> so it is kind of a dick move. But let me ask you. So, so you were talking about your story, James, and you would uh, put it back into your dad's face. Like, yeah, but I saw you do something. Now, Now, you have the wisdom of you know, 30 more years under your belt. Do you still agree with your stance back then of, hey, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me? As if you two are the, the same. As if you are equals. You're not equals. Trust me, you're not equals. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What about that, what about that uh, quote that if it's good enough for the goose, it's uh, good enough for the game? Well, those are refer to gender, first of all. Again, I mean, I'm try to serious it up here. Yeah, that was kind of a dick move, but I'm trying to defend the uh, do as I say, not as I do. There's a place for that because you have to you have to move up. You have to gain experience to do the stuff that the person with more experience is doing. You can't just do that from day one on a lot of things. Maybe. Underneath that, uh, that action that you witnessed was a lot of experience and education and whatnot that you don't have at that point in maturity. Sure. So uh, I get it when you say that about the instructor saying, 
hang on, I am going to set the flag, right? I know, you know, uh, uh, I know what I'm doing. I'm redundant in the fact that I have a set of doubles on so that I'm prepared. I'm familiar with what I'm doing. But we need this so that you can safely get in the water. So we're going to rely on my experience a little bit to get this started. Right. I get that. Right. But but the instructor standing in the... I would think that the, the, the opposite would ring true in a way that, if anything, this 90s era instructor would, would have you fin pivoting and like learning your basic buoyancy while he's neutrally buoyant in the corner watching. Oh, yeah. Because he's got the experience to hold himself there. Yeah, now I'm going to go right back to the other side and go, that was a dick move. And if I were an instructor trainer and I saw that, I would say, what in the actual fuck is going on here? <laughs> you're standing there with your in, in the bottom of the pool. What do you think you're you're showing? Which your is students? which is every instructor trainer that I've ever seen in the water, other than the ones for the agency I currently teach for. Yeah, you, you know, you're probably right. I I, I can't uh, recall what my instructor trainers were like in the water, although I'm pretty sure you're spot on they were standing or kneeling somehow anchored on the bottom completely negative buoyant so well so here's this question we haven't got to his question yet damn it but (laughs) but already the discussion has yielded is that the right word yielded or yelled uh yielded so much valuable Yes, Wisdom. listen, people, from now on, we just want you to lead up to your question and then just stop your email right there. <laughs> we'll, we'll, make, we'll make up the question. We'll decide what you need to know just, from that email. <laughs> yeah. No, he says, what is the lesser of the two evils? A new instructor with a lower dive count, but with modern diving techniques and teaching modern diving techniques... Who is still count? Um, who is still continuing their own education, taking tech classes, or or an old instructor with thirty five hundred dives, teaching that nineties way of diving that hasn't taken a class since his IDC twenty years ago. My answer to that is, it's not that simple. I I agree. Right. I I've had this discussion with other divers that are. They still have a a few years of diving under the belt, you know, 20 years even, 15, 20 years. But they are so adamant about anyone who doesn't dive their particular style. I won't name the the three-letter name of the style. But they are so adamant that they discount the experience of these older divers that may have never adopted that quote-unquote three-letter style of diving per se. But they are incredible divers in their own right. So we've had this discussion like, oh, they would never, I would never dive with that guy. I'm like, he's, he's a world-class explorer. He's in the explorers club. He's discovered this, that, the other <laughs> thing, he had books written. No, he's never taken a, a certain course or he doesn't have that credential of one of those agencies under his belt, but he's an incredible, this person's an incredible diver. They won't look past that. Right. There's definitely something that you cannot take away from 20 years of experience teaching class because you've seen so much. You may be 
poor on your own technique as far as what we call and what this person is calling modern diving technique. But what you have deep inside you and an ability to read a student, read a situation, see something happening before it happens, that comes from experience. And that is something that you definitely need to have if you're going to have anything to pass on to the future generations of divers. That's why you and I always keep coming back to you need experience. A hundred dives is not experience. Yeah, exactly. And so it's not- now on the flip side. And then on the flip side, you know, it would be nice if a lot of these instructors realized, because I know a lot of them myself and they drive me insane. Okay. Insane. Insane. Crazy. Crazy. And, but that very thing, like, yeah, I, I, you know, did my IDC in, you know, 1987, and I pretty much learned everything you need to learn then. In 19, nothing's changed in diving, and, uh, and I mastered it back then. I was a master. I was a distinguished graduate. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a, I think it's a combination of those, a proper mix of experience with uh, updated training, knowledge, and technique, proper technique. I mean, a, a nice blend of that is key, with experience being a good portion of that blend. Like, if you're looking at it like a, a recipe, say you're making tacos, right? <laughs> this is the scuba instructor whoa, 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 taco whoa. recipe. This, this, uh, you don't joke about tacos, <laughs> goddammit. We talking, I love me some we talking, tacos. Uh, we talking flour tortillas or we talking corn, corn tortillas? I'm a corn oh, okay. man. All right. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm all right, I'm with you. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's yellow. all you had to I say. I both, but I like them fried a little, uh, you know, but... So if, if you're talking a, uh, a taco recipe, you know, like the experience has to be the meat of the taco. Don't get, you're not having no veggie. I'm sorry, vegans and vegetarians. We're not having a veggie taco. So it's like the meat. So like if you're making a fish taco, experience is the fish of the taco. Am I, am I right? Uh, so you're saying you can't have a good vegetarian taco? I'm not saying that. <laughs> If you put enough spices on it, it's fine. It's fine. You can't have a good soy tofu vegetarian taco. No, no, impossible. I'm, I'm going to take you for some veggie tacos. You won't even know they're veggie tacos. Oh, I, I mean, if they're just vegetables in them, I, I'm sure I'll like them. But if you're going to try to substitute the meat with something, although I just got a, a nice little uh, update slash, I don't want to call it a lecture. It was a, it was a recommendation from uh, a vegan saying you have to try the impossible burgers the impossible meats you'll never be able to tell the difference so what you're saying let me let me see if i can get this correct so what you're saying is the impossible burger is kind of like a new inexperienced diver with modern technique yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that, is that what, it's, is missing, saying? it's missing the actual experience. The meat, meat is the experience, if you're getting my drift. If you're trying to uh, fake uh, the experience with impossible meat, uh, tofu, or you're just leaving out the experience, meaning you're making me a veggie taco, that's not a taco. It's not going to be a taco I'm going to recommend, and I definitely won't serve it at my house. Damn. All right, all right. So uh, this is this is all <laughs> come. It's starting to come together a little bit, and, and I, I think I get where you're going. So the the impossible burger is kind of like the new instructor with no deep 
rooted experience but good techniques so does that mean you're saying that the old experienced instructor that refuses to see the modern changes in diving is that like the flour tortilla compared to the corn tortilla nah, is, i is wouldn't even how? say it's tortilla it's like just throwing some meat on a tortilla shell it's not really a taco either. It's not oh, that good of a it taco, right? It doesn't have any seasoning. Thank you. There's no seasoning there's in no, the meat. Well, there's no veggies said. or anything like that. There's no There's no, there's 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 no, no balance. lettuce. There's, there's no, no cheese, lettuce in there. There's, there's no, no salsa de gallo. There's no, there's no jalapenos. There's no creme fraiche with the cilantro and the lime. There's none of that. So when you start to make this taco, you throw some meat on there, some good seasoned, high-quality meat. That's so called experience. And cumin, of course, you got to have cumin. It's a goddamn taco. It's a goddamn taco, man. Where the hell you think we're at? <laughs> Are you making a taco in fucking Canada or something? This is, you know, tacos. Everybody knows that cumin is the frog kick of tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, I was gonna say something like that, but yes. So if you just have that meat in that taco, it's it's not complete. It's not a complete taco, right? Now, if you got crappy meat, in other words, if you've got crappy experience, that's not, a, that's not a taco and it's crappy. It's just a tortilla with some crappy meat, like bologna. Throw a bologna on a tortilla. Is that a taco? Would you call that a taco? Fuck no, but that's what, we're, that's what somebody's teaching with. Somebody's teaching with a pound of bologna on a tortilla, calling it a taco or a hot dog. But you don't, you don't put bologna on a taco. No. You don't, but and that's what I'm getting at. You use high quality meat, seasoned to perfection. That's your experience. Then your technique is like your lettuce, your pico de gallo, your onions, your tomatoes, your 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 sauce, your propulsion techniques, your your balance, buoyancy, and trim are like your your salsa and stuff. Your sauce on top. Your cilantro is what I'm, I'm going to say. My cilantro of this taco of the perfect instructor taco. The cilantro is that that kicker, is that personality. So, Brando, let me ask you this, because there's a lot of people that don't like cilantro. It just, it just, it's a weird thing. But my wife's this way, like it, it's it crazy. Just, it hit. I think it's crazy too. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, people think that I'm crazy because I'm a dir. You know, long hose, backplate, and wing. The the configuration is the configuration the cilantro of the taco meaning you can still have a good taco without cilantro and you can still be a really good instructor with really good skills but not have fully embraced you know the dir configuration that that you and I hold so dear absolutely that uh, the cilantro is that that extra spice that I it appeals to me that I look for in my you know, my creme de la creme taco recipe. But that doesn't mean everybody likes cilantro. You can make your own taco that's delicious, that has that, that key element of good meat spiced well and good fresh vegetables or whatnot that you add on that taco to make it a taco. That's your technique. That's your, your proper trim, balance, buoyancy. But then the spice, like I like cilantro, Maybe you don't like cilantro. You like uh, oregano. I don't know. You, who knows what you like? Well, are we doing spaghetti tacos yeah. today? <laughs> hey, it's Italian taco today. What's the matter for you? I, I make you a taco you can't refuse. <laughs> At the end of the day, or, or the end of the dive, I think we can agree that 
Use a corn tortilla. Goddamn right. <laughs> Flour tortillas. I, I don't get the fascination with them. They're all over my, my house. They use them for quick sandwiches, which is not a taco. When I make a taco, which is almost daily, corn tortillas. So I, I hope this helps with your uh, question, Stefan. They call it maize. Um, so I hope this helps with your question. <laughs> um, uh, moral of the does. story is uh, you should be making tacos for your students. <laughs> I, ho- I hope uh, hope that I, came across well. I hope I hope he found the answer in there that it, it's not a certain number and it's not a certain class. You know, as far as as far as instruction or agency or um, a certain number, as far as experience, it's a varied experience. It's good experience and it's good good training. And a lot of times, you know, it's like uh, it's like that. Uh, definition of pornography i can't put it into words right the actual definition of what is pornography versus art this is a famous law argument but they can't put it in for words but i know it when i see it and that's the same thing with uh, good instruction and good material can't always put it into words can't come across you can't learn scuba diving on youtube you can't learn scuba diving from reading a book you have to be in it and see it and you'll know it when you get it yeah yeah i mean you can sit there on youtube and watch good diving technique for hours and days and weeks and months that doesn't mean when you get in the water that's what you're going to look like no you need somebody to guide you and show you the things that what you want to look like and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to emulate and where you need help with the technique right i mean eventually it'll start to click in the very smart people but it might take a long time and why reinvent the wheel Go to a go to an instructor that knows what the hell they're doing. A reputable, well known instructor that teaches diving like you believe you want to be taught. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, we got another message from Scott. Oh, Scott. Scott says, "Hey guys, love the show, which I have only just come across, but already appreciate the content you're putting out." He says, "My ten year old son recently passed his open water course." And we've been diving together now, which is incredible. Should we give him a shout out? Shout out. To Cooper. Cooper. Great Dive Podcast. We're watching you. Shout out, Cooper. Well done, kid. Congrats. Scott says he's been diving for about 30 years, would regularly go for a few months between dives, and has only accumulated 100 or so dives in that time. He says, I'm that guy you talk about. I'm advanced certified, so nothing to worry about, quote unquote. (laughs) I'm good to go. (laughs) I'm good to go. Don't worry about me. I've been diving for 30 years. Got an advanced card. And more importantly, he says, notwithstanding that, I may not have practiced certain skills potentially for years. He says, I trust you can pick up on my British sarcasm. We read you loud and clear, mate. A spot of tea with me sarcasm. That's terrible. He says his son getting certified uh, prompted him to do the rescue diver course to keep them both as safe as possible. He thought the course was great, and he thoroughly enjoyed it. But since completing the class, he hasn't really worked on any of the skills. And we, the Great Dive Podcast, has made him appreciate that having the qualification really makes very little difference if I'm not working on the skills regularly. Now he and his son are making sure to practice things like buddy breathing on a regular basis so that they become second nature. Well, hell yeah. Buddy breathing is a is a great skill to have under the belt. It's one of those that's not really taught anymore. 
uh, buddy breathing came about, you know, back in the day when octos weren't a, th- a thing, weren't a pretty much mandatory thing. Yeah, a lot of people for many years, you know, used buddy breathing and air sharing from an octopus synonymously, but they're really two different skills. Now, can we make a buddy breathing taco is my question. <laughs> what is buddy breathing in this taco that we were talking about? Buddy breathing is probably like the onion, no, sour cream. Buddy breathing is like the sour cream on a taco because some people, you know, you can put it on there. It's extra. I don't call it a, a mandatory requirement of a taco, but buddy breathing is kind of like uh, the sour cream of a taco, don't you think? Well, well wouldn't, wouldn't buddy breathing Makes it a taco be supreme. kind of like me putting sour cream on your taco? Well, exactly. And, and exactly. You putting like you putting cilantro on my taco. That goes without saying. <laughs> well, yes, hell yes. Buddy breathing is like adding extra ingredients to your buddy's taco. Is what it is, basically. Things that I definitely wouldn't say are necessary to to be labeled a, a taco, much less a good taco. But yeah, definitely putting extra ingredients on your buddy's taco is equivalent to buddy breathing. Now, he says they're, that they're practicing that so that they become second nature. So you're saying just putting extra stuff on tacos <laughs> should be second, like load them up with as much as possible? Well, you load up. Is that what, your, is that what you're saying? You load up your buddy's taco is what, it's, what he's trying to get at. So like if you guys go out to dinner, you just start throwing stuff on his tacos. Like they order, ta- you each order tacos and then he'll start throwing stuff on yours. You start throwing stuff on his. That way you're See, both that, trying sounds- new stuff. You're trying different new stuff that you wouldn't normally have put on your taco. See, this sounds more like fajitas to me. Like the fajitas, they come with a big plate and there's all kinds of stuff. And like you just kind of like wing it on the fly. You grab a tortilla and you start stuffing it in. And Is that like the fajitas like uh, when we go down to... Uh, so I'm thinking what you're saying is the fajita is more like the buddy breathing well, not really. Versus the taco. The, the, the taco we had uh, you know, on the last one is of being the experience. The fajita is like the, the buddy breathing. Well, fajitas are one way to buddy breathe, I think. Any Mexican food will work as far as buddy breathing, I think. I mean, because basically it's all the same, isn't it? It's a tortilla, some meat, and some vegetables, and a sauce, and some spices. Who's that comedian who, who talks about... Going up to the Mexican restaurant counter, you know, to order it like a fast food Mexican restaurant. And he sees this taco and he says, so so what's in a taco? He goes, well, it's a tortilla with meat and like tomatoes and onions and uh, sauce on it, you know. Uh, okay, cool. What's what's uh, this burrito? Well, it's a tortilla. <laughs> yeah. It's meat. Oh, yeah. Cheese. Don't forget the cheese. Anyway, they're they're all kind of the same. So yeah, we could use they, any they all they food. all need they all need a a base in there of of experience or well or they meat. do. But it's also good in the buddy breathing department that you throw something onto your buddy's taco or Mexican food. You throw something that you you might like on there. In well, case, let's get in into case well. Let's he get into finish. his actual question though. In let's case let's, he let's does, get into the actual he, question he, that he wants. He to doesn't ask. finish his food. You can eat it. Because you added the stuff you like on it. <laughs> He's, uh, let's get to his actual question here. Because okay. and, and, you might be able to help him out with this. Because he says, do you have any tips? <laughs> that wasn't the question. But diving with kids. No, that wasn't his question. It had nothing to do with his question. 
He says, beyond rules like max depth of 10 meters for junior divers, is there anything in particular I should be aware of working on with my son? He says, I recently bought a new computer, a Sunto Viper Novo with a wireless transmitter to monitor tank pressure, and I plan on mounting that to his first stage, to Cooper's first stage, so that I can keep an eye on his air. Do you have any comments on that? Is there a reason that I should not do that? <laughs> now, I'm not doing this. He says, I'm not doing this in order that he does not have to monitor his own air, but rather as a backup. He's still going to be responsible for his own air, but you know, it gives a worried father a, a little bit of comfort. It could also give a worried father a lot of worry. Because if it malfunctions, right, if when it malfunctions, you're like, son of a bitch, he's out of air. Son of a bitch. You're going to freak out. But I can definitely uh, sympathize with Scott's predicament and how he feels about going diving with his, with his kids, his kid, his son, his boy. I can see the rationale. And uh, I don't know. They're pretty reliable now, aren't they? They are reliable. But even the most reliable, like what you were saying, is going to have a time somewhere where it's potentially flashing the wrong number at you. You know, you get a, you get a little bit away and uh, you lose the connection or, or right. something's happening where the connection goes. I, and I agree. I get what he's saying. And, and although I don't have kids, I know that I monitor my wife's gauge when we're, when we're diving together, I monitor my students' gauges. Yes. When I'm diving together, like like when I ask trade uh, <laughs> trade secret uh, to all my students, I monitor out my there. wife's gauge too. If you know what I mean, but trade <laughs> trade secret to all my students out there is when I ask them how much gas they have, I've probably just looked at their gauge, so I already know the number that they should be telling me, right? But because I don't want to be surprised along the way, right? So I get what he's saying. And, and I think that's the smarter thing to do is to put yourself in a position where you can look at his gauge. You know, you just swim over and turn the gauge so the dial's facing out so you can look at it. Yeah. And then like you you keep up on him with the, the point of, hey, we need to know at, at these certain points we should be monitoring gauge. Or what I teach my students to do nowadays is I tell them when i ask how much gas you have i you want can't you to look. tell yeah. yeah don't look i want you to tell me first i've got so much gas and then go ahead and look and then tell me again you know were you were you right in that assumption or were you way off and you do that for a couple of dives and you watch how good that kid is you watch how good cooper gets at just knowing his gas all the time well yeah i mean we equiv- equivocate it we uh, is that the right word? We equivocate, we equivocate it to tacos. To tacos. <laughs> tacos and driving. Actually, I when I would teach this kind of uh, aspect of diving, it's like driving in your car. I mean, you don't stare at your at your fuel gauge as you're driving a long distance, right? You you, you just don't do that. Yeah. But yeah. you you as you drive and you gain experience, you know about how far you go and it's at half. You know about how far you go; it's at quarter. You, you know you know about how far you travel and and how much gas you've used. And that's the same thing with scuba diving. We have the added uh, complexity of depth 
having an effect on it and and maybe a little workload having an effect on it. But for the most part, it's pretty steady, the amount of gas you use, your your usage rate. And just like James, you were saying is get in the habit of quizzing each other, ask each other how much gas you got. And, you know, back to the original statement or question or comment, which is, you know, what do you think of that transmitter? I get it. It's fine. If you want to do that, that's great. But it's an unnecessary budget thing that really won't do much in the long run. You could use that money on something else like a donation to the Great Dive Podcast. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm kidding, of course. But uh, no, it's, it's really unnecessary. Keep an eye on his gauge and you'll, you'll be fine. That helps you too, as your awareness of your team their assets, in other words, what they have, how much gas they have available, how much gas they're using. It really builds that that kind of second nature skill. Yeah, very well said. And uh, like this is all really starting to come together and I get right where you're going. So it seems to me what you're saying is the transmitter is kind of like the crazy taco. Like like for for instance, I've got there's a there's a brewery near me that my wife and I go to that we really enjoy. They, they got really good food, some really good beers. And on Tuesday night, they do taco night. And, you know, they've got a couple of traditional tacos in there, but they always, you know, the chef's always got a couple of crazy tacos. Like like this week he had a like a General Zoe's chicken taco. Interesting, but it, it's not it's not necessary. Like the transmitter's not necessary. Like you can do what the transmitter is doing in your head if, if you get a little bit of experience and a little bit of training of, of how to do that. It's not that difficult. I was going to say the crazy taco sounds more like a heated vest to me, okay? Like a heated undergarment. Don't necessarily need it. Maybe in a certain environment it's really nice to have, but that's a crazy taco. It's In a certain environment it's nice to have. Whereas this transmitter to me is like a mini taco. It's a mini taco. I don't. I want a regular taco. I just use the analog gauge. Is your regular taco? Okay. Oh, I get. Uh, this taco. makes perfect. See, this is why I ask the questions. This is why I ask you the important questions because it's like or it's not you. now. Now I got to eat like eight mini tacos ah. when I could have just had one taco. Actually, actually, this just came to me. The transmitter is actually like nachos. It's nachos because I'm looking at gas that's not mine. Or you're looking at gas that's not Joe's, right? If you got that transmitter on, not Joe's, it's not, it's Joe's. not Joe's, it's not Joe's gas. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't beat that. Well done. Thanks for the question, Scott. Thanks, thanks for the question. I hope that answers your question, and I hope you are not too hungry after hearing all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think he's asking for tips for diving with kids. Go to Taco Bell first. <laughs> No, just watch them. Just watch them. Uh, a lot of times, just remember, they're immortal in their mind. They're immortal. Uh, so you, you got to be careful. But also remember that they mimic everything you do. So you're under a magnifying glass. Things like that. Also, the biggest thing, make them carry your shit because they need to learn that. <laughs> you don't carry anything anymore. If you're taking your kids diving, if you paid for the diving class, you got them their own gear. They need, to, they need to work that off to, to learn to feel the value of work. So you make them carry your shit. So we got some more feedback on an episode we did about ascents. Uh, we got a message from Robert that said, I really like the discussion on focusing on a slow ascent. 
I was able to see many things that I'm doing wrong in my ascent. I was also able to see why those things are important. The tip of the flu symptoms after a dive being mild decompression issues and that in order to improve that work on my ascent was helpful. Also, the issues of newer divers doing the yo-yo and not in control of buoyancy was helpful. I liked the bubbles in the soda analogy, really helped visualize the nitrogen gas. Also, the fact that the last 30 feet is the biggest change in pressure ratio, that really helped with my thinking about pressure and gas. He says, I left the episode with a feeling of, well, I really need to work on that. But what I didn't get was what I need to do to not do that. The only tip for improving was to not be overweighted. Other than that, you pointed out a lot of things that beginning divers do wrong, but didn't really share what I can do better. Well, how would we address that, what you can do better? Um, it would be hard for us to tell you what you can do better without seeing, without being in the water, I would say. I mean, you're already doing a lot to do better. You're listening to the Great Dive Podcast. And the, the, and the yeah, we certainly love that. And the, and the things that we say are, are making you think and, and question some of the things that you're doing, question some of your practices. So that right there, so you're already approaching diving better, realizing, hey, there's much I don't know. There's a lot to learn, and there's no end to the learning of, of scuba diving. Right. You, you, you mentioned that, you know, new... Newer divers doing the yoga, uh, the yo-yo, when not in control of buoyancy, was helpful, right? Well, yo-yoing would be a, a definite sign that you're lacking buoyancy control, that your your breathing is not consistent, uh, that you're playing with your inflator too much, that you're using your inflator to control your buoyancy. Yeah. And you're working hard, your breathing's changing, and when your breathing's changing, your buoyancy's changing, which is sending you up and sending you down. That's why you got to keep playing with that damn inflator the whole entire time, which is why you're going up and down. And you're probably probably not weighted correctly. I mean, that's usually at the core is uh, improper weighting. Yeah, because most people throw on weight to get down and to sink. And that, that's not how you weight yourself. Right. So they're automatically overweighted. They overweight themselves because it's easy. And this may be a little tip. This might help you. You're overweighted because it's easy for the instructor. You're overweighted because it's easy for you to get down underwater. The problem with overweighting is it requires more gas to lift you in your BCD or your BC or whatever you want to say. Uh, it's, a, it's becoming technically... Uh, Politically incorrect to say BCD, right? Although I was taught BCD. Some people call it BCJs. BCJs. Some people call it, somebody called them in the past BCVs. Yes, I remember the BCVs. And a lot of people get mad if you don't call it a wing and you have a wing on. Whatever it is, it's your buoyancy control device. At the end of the day, it's a BC, a buoyancy compensator. It's a buoyancy compensating device. It's a device. That's all there is to it. Anyway. Mine's a BCW. (laughs) I use a BCW. Um, but what, what I'm getting at is when you have more weight on, you're going to require more gas to become neutrally buoyant. The problem with more gas is the minor fluctuations in depth from breathing cause the gas to expand more because there's more of it to expand, which lifts you higher, further, faster. And then you have to dump to stop that 
that fast ascent, which causes you to fall quicker because you're overweighted. And do you see the yo-yo? Do you see the bouncing effect? Because, all because you're overweighted. Yeah, and I would say that for most divers, you know, wearing a, a traditional BCD vest style jacket or, or really anything, um, if you're overweighted and you have to put that bigger bubble into the BC to establish neutral buoyancy, it generally pulls you out of trim, especially if you've got those big old weights in the weight pockets at the lower part of the BCD. The air goes up to the back and shoulders of the BCD, so that pulls your head up. Your waist is sinking a little bit, so you're out of trim. And when you're out of trim and you kick, uh, Newton's law of motion says if you're shooting the water down from the thrust it's going to swim you up and when you swim up like you said the gas in the bc expands the wetsuit expands you become more positive you have to dump gas out which makes you sink so you got to put more back in and it's a constant effect that you're fighting so there's so many variables that are going into being able to maintain good neutral buoyancy which is why it's rarely taught because it's so much work it's so many variables in there that most people are taught to just keep swimming and it's the swimming that's keeping you neutrally buoyant exactly and that's why you see those people seesawing through the water as they swim and if they stop they're going down usually poof buoyancy control is actually like like uh the tostada at Taco Bell, right? The tostada, the, tostada. the flat shell, the flat shell right. tostada. Right. They throw okay. those, those. Lay it on. Lay it on me. They lay throw it on the me. beans on, and sometimes you get a tostada supreme. Do they still have those? I haven't been to Taco Bell in a long time, but they start. You start throwing all this stuff on the beans, uh, the meat, the the lettuce, tomatoes, some onions, some sauce. Uh, and then, you know, who knows what other people want to put stuff on there, but the, when you start, and it's a, and it's a, a big, and it's there, a big flat, yeah. I, I get what you're going. And then, you know, now you, when you get one of those, James, when you get one of those, you, you get a, you go to drive through whatever, and you get the box that comes and you open it up and it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's like, nothing's on it anymore. It's all over the inside of the box. It's like, you got to lick the inside of the box to get any of the tostada, the tostada, because it's unstable is out of control. Is that that thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's unstable. Because it's unstable. And then you take one bite and it just like crumbles all apart. And, and like, why don't you just put that in a nice taco shell? Taco shell. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, so the tostada is, I get what you're saying. It's like buoyancy in a way that it's easy just to slap more beans. Right. Yeah. And, and like, so the beans are kind of like, like weight. Like you can't just throw on weight. You got to distribute that weight in a proper way that's conducive to good diving. And when you do that, now it's like you have one of those uh, those bowl shells where you put everything in it now. So it's now it's nice and contained, okay? It's not going all over the place. You are more stable. All that stuff is in there now. Like This could be in a taco salad. Basically, a taco salad is a tostada in a bowl, which actually a, bowl. a tostada is actually a taco on a flat tortilla crisped up. So what you're saying is a taco <laughs> salad is like a properly sized wing for the for the tank that you're carrying. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna envelope the the bottles in a way that's a little bit more conducive exactly. to you holding me. you in trim. You get me. You get it. That's that's the thing. Because when you do because when you do that, the shell 
goes around all the ingredients. Right. Kind of like a wing goes around the bottle to create a positive buoyancy. That's exactly right. Shallow while the meat, the heavy meat and the beans are down low, you know, where the the tank and the back plate and the weight are. So it's nice and stable and it's all contained in one. That's exactly versus right. versus the the tostada shell is so instable because it's flat and all that stuff piles up above it and it wants to fall over and it, it's difficult it's, to eat. It's dynamically unstable. That's exactly right. The tostada is dynamically unstable and that's what makes the tostada have poor buoyancy control. You know, 40 minutes, I was really regretting having you on this podcast. I was sure you had no goddamn clue what you were talking about. But this is all coming right around. It's starting to make perfect sense. Brando, we got another one from from Grant. He says, guys, I'm new to scuba diving, and I'm exactly the person your podcast is for. I'm exactly the guy you're talking to. Very often the diver you're talking about and the person you're trying to impart wisdom to. I've heard in many of your podcasts that you hope that some new diver is listening and learning to what you guys are saying. Well, here I am, he says, and I want, no, in fact, I need you to know I'm here learning and listening, and I would love to just open a line of communication with you guys for my own development and hopefully your encouragement. You used a lot of enthusiasm reading that first uh, I could introductory read it. I could paragraph. Read it in his, <laughs> I could read it in his email. He says, I'm an instructor in a different industry, and I find myself laughing a lot at the salty humor you guys share about folks and situations. He says, I can completely relate. I was an infantryman in the Army for 14 years and now work in the firearms industry as a use of force expert and instructor. There's a ton of ego in my industry, and honestly, there's more believed myths about how things work than actual real truth. My background has been a life committed to gaining expertise for skills and relating that expertise to others so they can develop a mastery of those skills. I've done this as an outdoor expert, a military expert, a firearms expert. I call it the pursuit of expertise, which you guys refer to as mastery or a mindset of mastery. By the way, he says, I especially loved the episodes 215 and 216 about skills mastery. Phenomenal discussion. In all caps. I like it. Well, I'm glad that what we are saying is translatable to other arenas, just like you get tired of Mexican food, right? You get tired of Mexican food. I, I hate so, to say it. I'm after all this talk of Mexican food. I'm I'm in the mood for some uh, some Italian. So mastery is a, a little a little more Italiany than than Mexican. Well, I would say mastery is like the the cooking process, the recipe process, the following the recipe process. That's the mastery. Mastery is not the material. Ah. It's the, um, it's the, it's the knowing how to even pick up a knife. It's the mindset you have when you grab the vegetable that you need to cut in a certain, you're not just chopping it up and whacking at it and no, you're, you're, you're going to Florentine those, those lettuces, right? (laughs) Oh, 
Oh, Florentino. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Grant says, uh, here's the deal. I've become painfully aware of myself and the lack of expertise that I have in scuba. I grew up doing pretty technical freediving as well as a litany of other open water sports in my old stomping grounds of San Diego. I've had many close calls as well, which served to teach me important lessons about better understanding myself, both physically and mentally. So I have a healthy respect for open water, especially the oceans. I've always wanted to get into scuba, but it was cost and time prohibitive for me. But now, 42 years old, last year made the leap, got my Paddy Open Water certification, and I've been diving pretty frequently. As the weather and seasons allow, based on my meager equipment capabilities. At the moment of typing this email, I only have 18 dives under my belt. And I'll get two more this weekend. I want to become a tech diver. I want to do wrecks and do important things and be professional at it. I love it, he says. I love the sobering respect and the pop of focused anxiety of doing something that has risks but doing it safely and doing it well and working as a team to accomplish the mission. Whether jumping out of an airplane in the middle of the night over a foreign country, mountaineering, rappelling out of helicopters, conducting a combat patrol, or maybe someday helping identify a historic wreck, this is how my life has always been. But now, since I'm out of the military, I miss that mission-focused employment of specialized skills and working with people who are humble experts and constant pursuers of improvement. That's what the military calls quiet professionals. What I have discovered is that scuba is exactly that. And if there's anything that my own pursuit of expertise has taught me, it's that being an expert means you are good at the fundamentals in every condition, every environment, every circumstance, and every state of mind. It is the quality of the application of the fundamentals in the broadest possible ways that sets the experts apart from the lay people. He says, listening to your podcast and paying attention to the things you guys focus on causes me to look at how I do things in scuba, even how I set up my gear in scuba. Right now, I'm running a single tank with a BCD and octopus, and I already know that I want at some point to be diving with a long hose setup with a wing and twins or a single two and maybe eventually a CCR. This is a good, uh, really good email, by the way. I mean, there's. A, a ton of info in here. He's a wonderful listener. Big thanks to Grant. I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, it really, really captures everything we've been doing, you know, cracking taco jokes for <laughs> a couple of years, all in one really nice paragraph. Well, I mean, listening listening to you read, but I actually reading along myself, uh, Grant's got a lot of characteristics or traits uh, that fellow passionate divers all seem to have is that that yearning to be better, that uh, that that um, wanting the adventure, loving the focused discipline of uh, uh, participating in activity that you know has a few risks to it. It's very forgiving in many respects, but you can take it to the nth degree. And you need that focus, and you need that discipline, and you want to do it, do it as best you can. So, 
I mean, that's uh, he's, those are traits that I find, and uh, you know, I hope I've got people would say I have those traits. I know I've got some of those traits, especially with the military background stuff, and you have those traits. Um, and most of the good divers I know have a lot of these traits, constantly striving to be better. Yeah, it's uh, again, you know, he, he brings up early on the the, the mastery stuff, and th- that's it right there. Is you know what we learned from George Leonard was you have to learn to love that master's journey. Right, it's the journey, brother. Because otherwise, you find yourself getting trapped, and you you become the dabbler or the obsessive or the hacker. That you got to realize that. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, like my old buddy Von Scott used to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's the journey. It's a journey. It's, uh, it goes back to, you know, some people like making them, some people like eating them. Well, people that like the journey like making them. And what am I talking about? Tacos. <laughs> well, I like making them, bitch. And I like eating them. I like making them well, and then I like... Them. Well, I like answering Grant's questions. Okay. <laughs> and he says, all of that was a lead-in. He's got a couple questions for us, Brando. He says, number one, realizing that I must get buoyancy control second nature while doing any diving task, like clearing my mask, shooting an SMB, or air sharing, or really anything, is there other things I can be doing now that will set good conditions for myself later as I progress through the levels of training? One idea that I had was to start using bolt snaps to retain my equipment in a manner that is influenced by the long hose configuration. I'm not saying that I would set up my octopus with a long hose and a necklace regulator on my BCD, which I think is probably trying to blend two different systems and is probably an overreach of my current level of training. But I am wondering if it would be beneficial practice for me to substitute how I retain my buddy air by tying a bolt snap to it, likewise my gauges, backup light, etc. And also, I was considering getting some pocket shorts and carrying the things that are good to have, you know, extra mask, SMBs, reels, double enders, John line, wet notes, and eventually a leash. Also... I'm considering getting rid of the soft glove for my light and motion solo light and getting a rigid Goodman handle for it and practicing retaining it with a double lender to my right D-ring in the correct order, etc. All of this while practicing buoyancy control trim, etc. By the way, if either of you have a recommendation for a good Goodman handle, I'd love to hear it. Anyway, I'm trying to get my advanced certification in the next few months prior to going on a Cozumel scuba trip in March that my girlfriend has already signed us up for. She's already advanced certified, and by the way, Brando, she's dry suit certified as well. Son of a bitch. She's a keeper. (laughs) She's a keeper. (laughs) And I'm trying to find a good scuba facility that is within reasonable proximity to me that can accept the post-9-11 GI Bill for veterans trying to get into scuba professionally, but... I know this is a big but. I don't want to be that guy, the 100 dive wonder you guys are always referring to. That is why I don't necessarily want to be an instructor that soon. But I do want to go for tech diving and get involved with doing professional work underwater and pursue this as a career. And Am I totally off base, he says. 
I know there's no substitute for experience. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I want the experience. I need the experience, but I'm not quite sure what experience to focus on getting at this point. Other than diving with my girlfriend regularly, the fundamental skills, scraping pennies together to pay for additional training and certification and trips, and doing my best to network with other more experienced divers to stand on the shoulders of giants. But I don't know what I don't know. What would you guys suggest? Any thoughts? There's a lot of material in that paragraph to, to go through. Well, yeah, because he says, I've got, I have uh, some questions for you. Number one, <laughs> and then he lists 217 <laughs> questions. No he, never, he, never gets, he never gets to a number two. I love that. You know, Brando, <laughs> you know what this question. reminds me of? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, I've only got one question, every single one you can think of. Um, this reminds me of, you know, my wife is a really good cook, you know, talking about your, your cooking and your recipes and, you know, we were moving from tacos to Italian. This reminds me of when I look at my wife, you know, she's got all these cooking magazines that she's getting all the time. Like I open up these cooking magazines that she has and I get to page one. I go, Ooh, that looks good. I want to eat that (laughs) page two. Oh, that looks good. I want to make that. Page three, oh, that looks good. I want to make that. Page four, oh, man, this is good. I want to eat this. Let's make this. It's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. It's overwhelming. Yes. That's, and, and, then we end up, and then we end up going out to dinner <laughs> because I just spent 40, 45 minutes uh, uh, trying to figure out what I want to make. I've lost all my time in the, the time that I could have spent learning properly how to make one of them and doing one of them right. I wasted so much time looking at 20 different recipes and, and having all these crazy different thoughts of all these different ingredients I need and kitchen utensils I need to make this. And this one needs a bowl and this one needs a pan and this one needs a pot and this one needs a spoon and this one needs a fork. I, I, I never got to around to making one goddamn recipe. Well, it's like trying to fill your glass with a goddamn fire hose, okay? You're going you're gonna to destroy the glass is what's going to happen. So you got to take that, that information coming out of the faucet, if you will. Take it out of a faucet, out of a slow tap in the beginning. You don't need everything at once. You won't be able to handle it. It's, it, it is literally like Niagara Falls, but you, you don't need the fire hose either. You need, you need to take it nice and slow at this point. You're just getting into it. And I see a lot of great, great observations or questions as far as switching into equipment. Don't get lost in the equipment, though. That's not it. The equipment is not it's it. It's not the equipment, right? I think we addressed that early on. Like, uh, right, that was, wasn't that the cilantro of, 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 <laughs> exactly. of diving, right? Is it, exactly. is it the, you know, having the perfect equipment in the perfect styling that's the most modern today? Right. It, it's still missing something. Right. I mean, like that particular handle on the light, although I could sit here and tell you many reasons why it's the smart choice. And I know you can sit there and tell Grant why it's a smart choice. That's not going to make the difference in your diving. Right. Take it one step at a time. And I mean, dialing it back here and he's talking about putting a bolt snap on his octo. I would definitely recommend against that. You need to be able to uh, pull an octo out. You know, that octo brings up. That's why we carry them on our necklace. The Octo idea in the beginning, although it was great, the the problem with the Octo is it has to be able to be snatched away easily. 
but at the same time, it needs to be able to be secured very well. And so you see how they, the two requirements work against each other, and that's why you see Octos dragging along the bottom of the you know, murky, muddy, silty quarry or the coral reef that you're diving in in, in Cozumel. Yes, it's, uh, the, the Octo presents a conundrum. Yeah, of of application, no doubt about it. Which is why we've left it. But if that's what you have, and that's what you're using, that's what you were taught. You just with. got certified. That's what all you're taught with. You got to use that to the best of ability. So the answer there is, you make sure it's stowed, and you constantly throughout the dive assure yourself and your team that it is still where it needs to be, and it, it, you know that it's fully deployable, and you know that it's usable, and you know that it breathes before the dive ever even starts, and at the beginning of the dive when you're underwater, you can use it. It doesn't breathe wet. It doesn't have a chunk of sea fan stuck in it. It's not full of clay and mud because it's been dragging around. That's the thing to, to get good at. And then when you switch to... A more applicable and better designed piece of equipment and you learn that well if you've taken into the account of good dive skills those good essentials that we've been talking about all this time which is all those core skills as you change equipment you're still going to have to have those core essential basic fundamentals of a good diver that you can play with any deck of cards really a good diver can put, throw on a, a jacket, BCD, whatever, even split fins and snorkel and whatever, and look good and be able to handle them or herself underwater and be aware of their surroundings. So you're always, you know, working that awareness of your equipment, your team, your environment. You're, you're constantly going through that in your, in your mind, and that's how you dive. If you can work on those aspects of diving in proper buoyancy, and my recommendation, and, and you know, chime in here if you you want to, James, is you got to have you got to see yourself. It's a huge benefit to be able to see yourself, what you look like. So get a GoPro, set up the camera, or have somebody. You know, we used to do that all the time in the early days. Is you always had a camera. Now we didn't have GoPros, so we were blowing. You know, and when I say we, I mean I was blowing. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars on video cameras and housings, but you don't need to do that now. You can just get a GoPro. You can buy a, a used one for a hundred bucks and get the job done. But you need to see yourself, what you look like, how you're behaving underwater. Because I promise you, ninety-nine point nine percent sure here, you don't look the way you think you look underwater. Most people don't, and that's key. Yeah, most definitely. It's, it's you need a, a good solid base of real true core skills uh and if you do that you can go anywhere you can wear anything it's like you know back to you know cooking tacos you know um if all you know is tacos and you walk into a <laughs> kitchen you know with uh with italian pasta you're gonna have a hard time cooking but you know somebody who's a good chef a good cook you know, who's planning on making a taco can walk in with pasta noodles and oregano and, and spam and, a, and tomatoes, an and, and he's going to figure out how to make something incredible. So it, it's it goes to that core base of knowledge and understanding and learning, and that's what you've got to have. And and if all you've done is a quick little weekend class with some basic gear, and you've YouTubed everything else. It's a beginning. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a Don't really good beginning because you're starting guy, to see man. things that you, you haven't been presented to. But but you need to get those 
core yeah. skills down. You got to, you have to be a good diver. And I, I think that's what kind of started us when we were going into that advanced diver discussion, right? That we were having that a lot of people misinterpreted, or maybe we miss said things that allowed them to be we gave the illusion we, that we communicated. we gave the illusion <laughs> that the people were receiving the message right but the point being is this is your starting point grant is and in order for somebody like myself what i was trying to come across was in order for me to really teach you to dive you got to know how to dive number one right and now we can get to okay so we've got all of this stuff now we can go out and actually start to do something right that was the point of uh that whole episode is you, you have to have that foundation. Now I know Grant is saying he, you know, it costs a lot of money to scuba dive. You know, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no way around it. You're going to have to spend money. You're going to have to break eggs to make the omelet kind of thing. So you're going to need a class, a, a, an essentials class, a fundamentals class. I do. I know other agencies may have something. I've never seen them. I've taken other agencies courses and I haven't taken a, a quote-unquote equivalent to Fundy slash Essentials. But those are two that I know. So that's what I'm saying is you need that to to step off. That's your step-off point. That's all there is to it. I mean, you can't get yes. it from a YouTube video. And for everybody that thought those last couple episodes were sales pitches, <laughs> I just want to remind you that if you go if you email me, jm at Monitor Water, uh, you can get 20% off if you pay double for the next essentials class for uh, the rest of this week. Mention this episode and I'll give you 20% off double the price of uh, the next class. What a deal. Limited time offer. All right, everybody. Well, hey, these were a couple of uh, messages that came in. There's a lot more out there. If we haven't answered your message, it's not because we're ignoring you. It's we're both. It's crazy time. Way oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, I, I'm we, sure we do. We do honestly. We do get to these eventually, and uh, we will answer you somehow. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed these. Uh, those of you who didn't send in messages uh, and you're listening to these, I hope this helps explain a little bit of what we're thinking. And and we do generally, genuinely appreciate when these come through. And uh, people like Grant and Scott and everybody who's looks up to us for for guidance robert uh love it thank you guys so much for for being here for us and we hope to be back here for you all right brando sign logbook on uh on this one uh c c nice taco <laughs> buenos nachos all right everybody we'll see you James next week james yeah, safe diving, folks.
Bye. 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 Bye.